Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. How are we? Good, man, you're learning. It's, uh, you know I'm going to ask you again if you don't respond back to me, so I'm glad to see you all here this morning. It's a special Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. We are so thankful for you. We're thankful for the way you love us, the way you support us, the way you serve us, and I could go on and on about how thankful we are for you. But I also want you to know on my drive here this morning, God laid heavily on my heart some of the, the folks in the room, some of the ladies in the room who, who long to, to be a mom, or maybe you have lost your mom, and, 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 and there's, there's certain days like today that we celebrate that, that might be heavy on your heart. And I just want you to know that I was praying for you this morning, I was thinking about you, and I'm going to be thinking about you all week and all day long today as we celebrate Mother's Day. I just want you to know you're not forgotten, you're thought of, you are prayed for. Okay? Well, guys, it is good to be with you. For those of you worshiping online, thank you for joining in with us as we start a new sermon series today called As It Is in Heaven. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and join me in Matthew chapter 5. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to cover the Sermon on the Mount. As I mentioned, the sermon series is called As It Is in Heaven, and there's a reason why. There's a reason why I believe that it's God's desire that the Church of Christ be an embassy of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And you get that from uh, Matthew chapter 6. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this when Jesus is instructing his disciples how to pray. He says this in chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it is as those redeemed by God, it is now our calling as His ambassadors and representatives to represent His kingdom, His reign, His rule on this earth. And that all begins in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. You might recall there's a 400-year period, period of silence between God and man. God had not uh, raised up a prophet to speak on His behalf to His people for over 400 years. And then all of a sudden, a guy named John the Baptist shows up, and he begins proclaiming a message in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, and this is what he says. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he says. And then it's not many days later that Jesus shows up, and he begins proclaiming a very similar message, and he says this in Matthew 4, verse 17. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand. Now, what Jesus is is communicating to us is is he's saying, listen, I'm ushering in a new kingdom. That is, with his arrival on earth, he is ushering in his reign and his rule on this earth. That's what he's talking about when he's referring to the kingdom. He's referring to his reign and his rule on this earth. But here's the problem for you and me in this room. Here's the problem. We live in what theologians call the already but not yet. The already, but not yet. We live in this tension where two kingdoms exist. We have the kingdom of the world, right, where, where, where Satan reigns and Satan rules, right, and selfishness and sin abide. That's where we're at right here on this world. But then there's also another kingdom where Christ reigns and He rules. And the part of the tension that you and I experience today is the reality that we're caught in the middle of these two worlds. 
I'm sure you can feel it. All you got to do is turn on the television, look at the news, think about what happened in, in Belden High School this week. Right? We live in this tension, this already but not yet, this kingdom of God, yet at the same time we live in the kingdom of the world. And so when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, what he's doing is he is offering us an invitation to repent of our false loyalty to the kingdom of the world, to say, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. I I, I want more of you. I'm going to repent of my false loyalty over here. I'm going to trust you for my salvation, and I want to say yes to your kingdom. I want to live under your reign and your rule. And what ends up happening there is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that we become citizens of a new and better kingdom, a new kingdom. We become the very household of God on this earth. That's what happens for you and for me who say yes to Him. Now, what I need you to see is that the goal of this series is to answer the question, you ready? Here's the important question. How do we live in the world, how do we live in the kingdom of the world, and yet not be of the world? How do we do that? What does that mean? How do we live on this earth and yet at the same time be an embassy and a representative of a new and better kingdom? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next 16 to 18 weeks is how do we be in the world and not be of the world? And so with that being the context, today what we're going to be talking about is the pursuit of happiness. Nobody wants to be happy, do they? Well, no, everybody wants to be happy. I mean, you'll hear that all the time. It's everywhere, right? Maybe you can recall, maybe your grandma, I remember my grandma telling me I was having a a tough day one one afternoon, and and she always cut my hair, and so that was my time with my grandma, and we would sit there, and she'd say, Logan, I I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy, Logan. We all want to be happy. We do. I want you to see this. This is pretty wild. A recent Huffington Post article said this. Today, happiness is ever-present in our cultural conversation, and oftentimes it is at the forefront of our minds. Advice on how to be happy is everywhere. Note this. A Google search for happiness yields 75 million results. Wow. And nearly 40,000 books on or related to the topic are available for purchase on Amazon.com. Wow. That's crazy. And get this, this is wild too. Forbes magazine says that the average person is exposed to anywhere between 6,000 to 10,000 ads per day, all of which are designed to sell you on the world's version of happiness. Hey, buy this. Hey, look like this. Hey, if you only had this, if you could talk like this, or if you looked like this, then you would be happy. Six to 10,000 ads per day. And now here, this is where the two kingdoms collide in this pursuit. See, there are two different types of happiness. There's a worldly happiness, but then there's a kingdom happiness. There's a worldly happiness. There's a kingdom happiness. There's a happiness that the world offers that is temporary and it is fading. And here's what it teaches. It teaches that happiness is found by looking within. By looking at how much you can achieve. Man, if, if you could just have this, you'd be happy. If you just looked like this, you'd be happy. If you just had all this stuff, you would be happy. That's what the world teaches. It's experienced by becoming our true selves that allow, align with our inner feelings, our desires, and our wants. This is what's called cheap happiness. This is a cheap, fading 
temporary happiness. But see, church, there's another kind of happiness. There's a happiness that is deeply satisfying, it's lasting, and it teaches us that true happiness in the kingdom is found not by looking within, not by looking within, but rather it is looking by looking up. It's by looking out. As a matter of fact, if you want to experience true happiness this morning, and here's my main point, here's my contention for you this morning, if you want to experience a true happiness, a long-lasting, deep happiness, it begins first and foremost with a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God. And it brings about a certain character in us. This right relationship with God is going to bring about a certain character in us that what the scriptures are going to teach us this morning is that that character then produces a peculiar kind of happiness. It's a true, unfading eternal kind of happiness that we're going to talk about this morning. And so again, if you have your Bible, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 12. If you're able and willing, would you please stand as we read God's Word together? Please read this along with me. Beginning in verse 1, the text says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, what you need to know this morning is that word blessed simply just means happy. It means fortunate. I love what one commentator, he said, he put it this way. He said, it is, it is more than a temporary or a circumstantial feeling of happiness. Hear this. This is a state of well-being in relationship to God that belong to those who respond to the call of Jesus. That's a very different kind of happiness, happiness that the world is offering you and me today. It is a true, it is a lasting, it is a, it is a well-being kind of happiness that is not predicated on our circumstances or what's going on in our life or what's not going on in our life or by what you have or by what you don't have. It is a deep-rooted happiness that is found only in Christ. And in these verses, what you're going to see this morning is that Jesus is teaching his disciples and now us in the room that the road to true and lasting happiness is marked by eight characteristics. I want you to hear this morning that it begins with a relationship with him that forms a character in us, and it's that character when act upon that actually produces a blessing that Jesus offers. The first characteristic is humility. It's humility. Verse 3, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
To be poor in spirit means that you understand that you are spiritually impoverished. You are bankrupt before holy God. That as you stand in the presence of God, you recognize that there is nothing that you have, there's nothing that you are that is in in any worth before Him. It's to say, God, I'm going to live fully in light of you. I'm going to live in complete and total dependence on you. That's That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It's to be completely dependent upon God. Now, I've heard it said that you can gauge your dependence upon God by your prayer life. What's your prayer life look like? If you have a robust prayer life, well, it'll probably indicate the fact that, that you're living in dependence on God. If you're lacking in your prayer life, it's probably because you're living in self-dependence. You're lacking a poor in spirit. Number two, second char- characteristic is mourning, which seems kind of weird when we're talking about happiness. How can, how can mourning lead to happiness? But yet here Jesus casts a vision for us, and he said that's in fact true. He says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They will find comfort in their mourning. To be mournful means to look out into the world and mourn the sin, the selfishness, and the brokenness of the world. It's to think back on this week as we watched brokenness unfold at Belton High School. Two lives completely changed forever. One stepping into eternity, another one stepping into a dreadful fate of a life of prison. Families destroyed. This is the brokenness. This is the sin that we're talking about. As Christians, you and I ought to look out into the world and we ought to mourn the loss. We ought to mourn the brokenness that we see all over the world. We should never be people who go, well, it is what it is. We should be people whose hearts are heavy for the world, heavy for the sin of the world. Not only that, but we should also be a people who mourn the sin in our own lives. To think back with Paul in Romans chapter 7, where, where Paul, he says, man, there's, there's times when I do what I know I'm supposed to do, and then other times where I, I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do, and he says, wretched man that I am. It's Paul, the apostle Paul, greatest missionary that, that's ever lived, who would still say, I'm still battling the sin within me. It's not to celebrate our sin, but it's to be mournful over our sin to understand that for all who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, who have walked away from their sin, who are experiencing the righteousness of Christ, it's, it's for us to understand that while our sin doesn't separate us from our relationship with Him, it's to mourn the reality that our ongoing sin in our life does separate our fellowship from Him. It's to mourn that. It's to mourn the loss in our life. Number three, Number three, self-control. In verse five, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek means that you are strong, yet gentle, confident, yet humble, powerful, yet self-controlled. In describing what it means to be meek, I love what former uh, NFL coach Tony Dungy said. He said, it's a quiet strength. I remember as as a young boy, my dad put that book in my hands, and I devoured that book. And I'll never forget, I I used to think meekness meant weakness. But what he helped me see is it's actually strength under control. It's power under control. Another author said that meekness is a controlled desire to put God's interests above one's own. It's to have all the power in the world and yet not to use it. Listen to this. It's to say, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
is to have all the power, yet to relinquish it over to God. You might think of Jesus on the cross at any moment, the God of the universe hanging on the cross for you and for me. At any moment, he could have said, nope, I'm done, I'm out of here. But what does he do? He endured the cross for you and me. Not my will, but your will, Father, be done. Number four, righteousness. In verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness. And hear this, for they shall be filled. To be filled means that they should be satisfied, to have their cup overflowing when you and I hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means that we identify with the heart of God. To look over into the world, to peer over into the world and go, this is not right. This is not how God designed it. This is not how this was supposed to be. And here's where it is different from mourning. It is to long for and it's to act as God's representatives in order to see his kingdom come to earth, to see that all things be made right. So it is to hunger that man would first and foremost be made right with God. Do you have a hunger that the people in your life, family members, Neighbors, co-workers, do you have a hunger that they would be made right with God? You ought to have a hunger that they would be made right with Him. That's first and foremost. Secondly, secondly, it's, it's to see that God's justice would be achieved on earth as it is in heaven. And as mentioned before, right, it is following the pattern that Jesus set to say that not my will, but yours, O oh God, will be done. But then hear this, it's then to act on that will. It's to act on what you believe and what you know to be true from God's word, that this is his will on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's not to sit there and just mourn, but rather it's to step into that and go, okay, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to act. I'm going to act in obedience. It's to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness on this earth. Number five, the fifth characteristic is mercy. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Love this. Mercy is defined as compassion for people in need. Do you have a compassion for people in need? You know, I don't know about you, but um, oftentimes I can find myself learning from people that I never thought I would learn from. We were leaving Home Depot not long ago, and um, we were pulling out of, of Home Depot, getting ready to do a, uh, a, a new project at the house. Jordan's got plenty of projects. It was just one of the many. And uh, we were pulling out of the, uh, we were turning onto the, back onto the loop or onto the interstate, and there was a homeless person sitting right here on the corner. And, and my son, sitting in the back of the car, we rolled down the window, and I think we had given them money. I can't remember what, exactly what we did. Uh, but Lane said, Dad, what's their name? And I thought, man, in true mercy, it's not only to hand them money, but it's to get to know them. It's to care for them. It's to help them see that they're an individual, that they're a person that matters, that they have value and dignity before God because they are created in His image. Are you a merciful person? Have you extended mercy to somebody who has wronged you and maybe they haven't even said sorry? I love what D.A. Carson, he says this of mercy. He says, mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one on whom the love is to be showered. It is a calling to be compassionate and gentle, especially to those who are helpless and cannot return the favor. When was the last time that you did something for somebody that they cannot repay you? 
You know, I think about this all the time. The mercy that is shown in my life demonstrates my understanding of the mercy that's been given to me in the cross. There's a direct correlation here. You'll see that in all these characteristics, right? If I understand the mercy that I have been received or that I have received from the cross, knowing that I did nothing to deserve it, and yet Christ went to the cross for me, bore my wrath, bore my sin, not his, it was mine. Nothing that I ever did to deserve that. How then can I not receive, or how, how then can I not extend mercy to others? How then can I not forgive others if he has forgiven me even when I didn't deserve it? That's to be merciful. Number six, authentic. Authenticity is a characteristic of one who experiences the blessing of God. Blessing, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's verse 8. Right? We're not talking about a, a vision that comes from our eyes. We're talking about a vision for one who is pure in heart. Who is pure in heart. Who has pure motives. To be in pure in heart means that you are genuine. You are sincere. And you are authentic to the core. Love this. The persons who are pure in heart are those who in relationship with God and man are free from falsehood. They are utterly sincere. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. They have nothing to hide. Their very heart, including their thought and motives, are pure, unmixed, without anything devious or ulterior. Hypocrisy and deceit are abhorrent to them. They are without guile. Listen, I want you to, I want you to think about this. If you were to do a 360 perspective on your life, if you were to send out to a bunch of people and say, hey, I just want you to analyze my life. I want you to look at my life. And if you were to walk out into public and you were to say, hey, I want you to just take a look at my life I want to, from every different angle, would people say that you're the same person on Sunday morning that you are in the workplace on Monday morning? Would people say of you that you're the same person on Sunday morning that you are at the dinner table with your family? See, Christians ought to be the most consistent, authentic, and real people on this earth. That's how we usher in the kingdom of heaven. We ought to be authentic. We ought to be consistent. And then number seven, we ought to be at peace. We ought to be a people of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's verse nine. A peacemaker is one who seeks reconciliation in all relationships. We should circle all relationships. First, it's to be reconciled with God. Second, it is to work to be reconciled with man. And hear me, this takes work. Now, all my people in the room who hate conflict, where are you? Let me see you. Yep. I know it. This means that you're going to have to step into conflict in order to be reconciled. You are going to have to be willing to say, you know what? It is worth it to restore this relationship, to experience reconciliation. It's to be at peace. Peace is not achieved by avoidance, but like gas on a fire, it only fosters the flame. Did you know that? Did you know that your avoidance of that conflict is only fostering the flame? It's only making matters worse. It's only creating more dissension between you and that person. To be a maker of peace is to set aside pride for the reconciliation of one's relationship. It is to do what Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, so long as it's up to you, live at peace 
with everyone. And peace is not avoidance. Peace means reconciliation. By the way, I don't know if you realize this, but for many of us in this room even, the stress in our lives is directly tied to our lack of reconciliation with people in our lives. Tell me I'm wrong. It's true. A vast majority of the stress that's happening in your life, even right now, is due to the fact that you are not reconciled with people in your life, whether that's a son or a daughter, whether that's a coworker, a long friend, maybe a neighbor. It's a lot of stress. Be reconciled. Be a maker of peace, Jesus would say. And then, and then number eight. Number eight, unwavering obedience. He says, blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's important. You might want to highlight that in your Bible, because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, guys, it's important for us to understand Jesus' sentiment here. This is really important. He is saying happy are the persons, blessed are the persons who are persecuted for advocating God's righteousness in the world, not yours. It's easy to want to advocate for my righteousness when I don't know the facts, or when I don't know the story, and I think I know everything, and so all of a sudden, there's an injustice that's had, and so, man, I'm going to fight this. But are you acting out your agenda, or are you acting out God's agenda? It's important to understand that blessing doesn't come from the persecution itself, but from the persecution as the result of advancing God's agenda to reconcile all things on heaven and on earth. To understand that there is an expectation for persecution, and yet blessing doesn't come because of the persecution, but because we have identified with the very character of God. Because you and I have identified with Jesus. And yes, that might cost you some friendships. Yes, that might cost you a reputation. Yes, that might cost you. But hear me, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He always said it was going to be worth it. Because that's where you experience blessing when we're acting out God's righteousness on the earth, not our own righteousness. Church, this is a kind of happiness that the world cannot, will not, ever be able to offer. In fact, here's the great paradox of happiness. I want you to hear this. See, the world says, if you want to be happy, be you. And yet Jesus would say, get rid of you. The world says, enjoy your sin. And Jesus says, grieve over your sin. The world would say, advance yourself. And yet Jesus says, promote others. The world would say, fight for you and yours, and yet Jesus says, give yourself away for, for others. The world would say, hoard all the stuff that you can, and yet Jesus would say, give it away freely. It's not yours to have, it's mine anyway. The world would say, cancel those you disagree with, and yet Jesus would say, reconcile at all costs. The world would say, be whoever you want to be, and yet Jesus would say, be authentic. Be my ambassador. Be my representative. The world would say, save your life, and yet Jesus would say, lose your life, for there you will find it, and true happiness along with it. That's the paradox of Christianity. That's, that's the tension that you and I feel even in this room, but I want you to know this, that happiness is not found on a road, road full of pragmatic steps. 
right? We all want that. Oh, just give me the five steps to happiness. Man, I, I can crush those five steps. I can check them off a list, but that's not how it works. Happiness comes true, lasting, deep, eternal kind of happiness. Happens first with a right and ongoing relationship and communion with God. Flowing out of that is a character that's produced as a result of that. And it is that character that God says, you will experience my blessing when you live this out. That is true happiness. That's what's offered for you today in this room. If, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm just miserable, it's probably because you're looking, for the wrong, you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. The object of your happiness is misplaced. It can't be your kids, can't be your grandkids, right? can't be your money, can't be your cars. All that's going to fail you. It is cheap. It is cheap. And sure, yeah, great, a new car, man, it's wonderful. But it's temporary because just six months later, all of a sudden you're used to it. This is a kind of happiness that you don't get used to. This is the kind of happiness that Jesus says that life is found when he talks about, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. This is the kind of rest he's talking about. It's eternal. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on what you have or what you don't have. It's based on him who never moves, who is your steady anchor as we just sang. That is the kind of happiness we're after. That's the kind of happiness the world's that, that's the kind of happiness the world's after, and that's the kind of happiness that you and I, as we live as an embassy of, of God on this earth, can offer the world. Will you join me in prayer? Well, Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you, God, and I just pray this morning that we'll just take a few moments of silence, and God, I just want us to do a couple of different things. Lord, I want us to, to think on what is true, and what is true and deep and satisfying happiness, God, and I pray that, that in just these moments of silence here in just a minute, God, that you would convict our hearts on areas of life where we have chased lesser things than you. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see those things. God, I pray that you would now draw us back into you. Maybe this week has just been a tough week. You found yourself drifting from God, man, just struggling to find joy in him, struggling to meet with him. Just encourage you to repent of that. And then saying, okay, I want, I want to come back to you, Lord. I want to, I, want, I want to enjoy that fellowship, that communion with you. Maybe you're in this room and you're just thinking through, man, I, I've never experienced this kind of happiness. But you can do that pretty easily. All you have to do is just say, God, I, I'm broken. <laughs> I'm in desperate need of happiness. I've been trying to find it in all of these different places. And I recognize, based on your word, that true happiness is found in you. And I want that. So I confess of my sin. I, can, I confess of the fact that I've been going my own way, trying to find happiness in all these different areas. I confess of that. 
I want to believe in what Jesus has done for me, that he has gone to the cross for me. He's paid my debt, bore my sin and my shame on the cross so that I could walk away free. And I want that. I want that eternal kind of happiness. I want that eternal kind of joy that is found only in him. I want that. Father, I want us to be a church who finds you the anchor to our joy, the anchor to our happiness. You're the steadfast anchor that we sang that this morning. God, be our steadfast anchor. Father, I pray that you would ground us and root us in you, God, that we would not be tempted to find joy and happiness outside of you, but God, we would come before you understanding and knowing that true and lasting joy and happiness is found only in you, that we would experience the blessing of you, and then as we do that, God, we would invite our community into that same blessing. God, let us be that church. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer just a second ago, I would love to talk with you after the service. We'd have people who would love to talk with you right out these doors at our Connection Central. We would love to help you see how you can find a relationship with Jesus and continue that and experience all that we've been talking about. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. We're glad to get to worship with you. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.